And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back. We've got two guests this time. Usually we only have one person, so we're going to do a little tag team in here. And it's uh, Chris and Lena Santoro. They're from the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, They're world travelers, and uh, they've uh, actually created a book from from the photography they created while they're traveling around the world. Looks like we might have been in Rome at about the same time. I I should have asked you that ahead of time. Uh Yeah, we do have no people in common in that city all the way (laughs) on the other side of the world, which is pretty unusual. Anyway, uh, yeah, Chris uh, works for the government, and Lena is a uh, she's a professor, Mm -hmm. PhD specialist in uh, in uh, special education, and uh, you know they spend their time traveling, (laughs) living the dream, something all of us want to do. Anyway, so welcome, guys. Thanks for being with us. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. Uh, Yeah, no, glad to, glad to. You um, reached out at the at the right time, and and you're doing the right thing. So I thought, oh yeah, we've got to get you on there. Plus, they're not too far away from me. We're practically neighbors. Yes. So anyhow, um, and you guys can work out between you who answers what. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to throw out a question, and you know, you can take it from there. Unless you, you know, unless you want us to determine now who goes <laughs> first. Well, I would guess your first question is, what is your story and Lena's got that one to start. Okay. What is your story? <laughs> At least in terms of street photography. Lena, it's yeah. all yours. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. So um, I think our story starts with my interest in photography. Um, so I was that kid um, growing up where I was exposed to ex- photography in, at, at home. My dad is a pretty good photographer, family photographer. And my mom would assemble the pictures he took into scrapbooks. And essentially, she was creating visual stories Mm -hmm. um, of our family and vacations and birthdays like families do. But I was just drawn to that. I knew my dad um, just instinctively was taking good shots. And it was interesting to see all that linked together. So as a kid, I was very tuned in to the use of a camera. Um, and, and, uh, that at growing up, um, and then I think uh, very similar to others you've interviewed, I took that high school photography class, uh, and absolutely loved it. I loved working in the dark room. I was fascinated by the whole process. And then I found myself visiting our local camera store uh, often, um, weekends, picking up supplies for the dark room. Uh, and I think they got used to me coming in and, 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 and hired me. <laughs> I think they thought this high school kid's here often enough. Let's just hire her. And I um, got my first job in the camera store working on weekends. Um, and it was, I loved it. I loved it. I did very basic things. I was just a high school part-time, um, worker. So I, um, did the register, cash register. I sold film. Um, I dusted, <laughs> I dusted and vacuumed. I think my favorite part of that work was talking to people about their travel. 
Um, the most common question that uh, people would bring into the store was what film, and this was the time when people were buying film, what film should we take on our trip? Um, and it was one, just fun to talk to them about, are you going somewhere warm? Is it sunny? Um, will you be on a boat? Do you think you will be um, trying to take pictures in a way where you have to think about um, you know, the speed there and adjust for that? Are you going to be doing anything at night? And so I love these conversations um, with, with people coming into the store. So that, that was essentially my start. And then on and off on my own, just I don't think kind of from there on, I was, was very, uh, you know, completely dedicated. There'd be spurts, right, where I was very interested and then I would put photography away for a little bit. I think I, I got back into it when I moved to Oregon for graduate school. And that's such a beautiful state. I mean, it's mm. hard not to want to get that camera out and be a part of that environment and take pictures. And so I think that move and that opportunity brought it back into my world again. And then when I met Chris, Chris is a traveler. He's the real traveler <laughs> in, in, um, in our relationship. And I well, was like, wow, I, not only do I get to travel more than I did before, but there's no excuse now. It's fun. Just bring that camera. And so I was bringing the camera along on all our trips, <laughs> stopping to take pictures. And, and then poor Chris was ca basically carrying the gear. Um, while I was was out there taking pictures and, and Chris has been with me from the transition from film to digital. And so we were traveling with lots of film and Chris was carrying all the gear. And so I think I think I might have forced the transition, I think, from yes. film to digital. <laughs> yeah, carrying around all that film got old after a while. Uh, yes. You're going to get one of those mirrorless cameras because I'm tired of carrying this other stuff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So anyway, that's the setup. So so finally, Chris joined. Chris joined in and Chris, I'll let you kind of yeah, take it. So from he, there. he was the Sherpa mm -hmm. at first, huh? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so from there, you know, I, I um, had been carrying a lot of rolls of film over a lot of miles. And as I started carrying it, I said, all right, well, I need something else to do. I need to participate in this in some way. So I started being what I called her spotter. I would say, well, what about this picture or that picture? And then sometimes she would take what I saw. Often we saw different things and she'd come back with a picture that was better than what I saw or different than what I saw. And so finally, after we were able to switch from film to digital <laughs> and I had, you know, fewer pounds on my back and, and an extra hand, I then started picking up a camera and was my own spotter and it went from there. So early on, before you picked up the camera, were you, were you ever like, how many pictures are you going to take of that thing? <laughs> well, it was film, so I was able to uh, relate it to a to a, a monetary outlay. Um, so that that helped a little bit, but um, did the digital world has certainly enabled both of us to take more than a single shot of a single of a single thing. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely, pixels are free. Yes. yes, but the hard drives are not. No, they're not. No, they're not. Depending on what you have, some of these files are just getting insanely huge. Yeah, I guess. So it's interesting because both of you are photographers. And I know we, my wife and I travel a lot. And I've always got a camera with me. And she says to me that line, you know, how many photos are you taking of that thing? And, and that, I think that's true for a lot of people, a lot of couples. Only one of them is a photographer. Mm -hmm. So how do you two work together? Do you, when you're, Say you're on the streets of Paris. Do you like 
split up and go your own way and come back together? Or do you work together pointing things out? I mean, how, how does that work? Well, a little bit of both. So uh-huh. it is, um, it's fairly common that I may go out on a, say, an early morning walk on my own just to stretch my legs and, and start the day. And then Lena will join later. And we don't often see the same things. We're in the same places, but we don't often see the same things, which mm-hmm. I think is very helpful because, uh, you know, if you've looked at the portfolio or as you look through some of our work, it's, I, I think it's fairly easy to tell whose photos are whose once you get a sense of, of what we're looking at and what we're looking for. So mm-hmm. I don't really think there's a lot of overlap. It's more complimentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Well, that, that is one of my questions. We'll get to that one later. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that uh, we, since we do like different things, you know, Lena has her dedicated museum time. So if we're somewhere, <laughs> um, you know, she can take an hour or two to go to a museum and that frees me up to do what I'd like to do for an hour or two um, yeah. and, you know, vice versa. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that that's really nice. And because you want to go out and shoot, mm-hmm. she completely understands. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes, yes. So, yes, that, you know, usually mm-hmm. we travel overseas. Um, you know, they say, don't go to sleep, stay up, stay up. Well, my wife always goes to sleep. So I, I take that jet lag time and go out and, uh, on my own. Well, and, one of the fortunate things that we do, um, most places we go as touristy as it sounds is most of the tourist areas have the hop on hop off bus or something yeah. similar. So that's usually what we do to orient ourselves to the city or to the area. Mm-hmm. And then we'll use that as a springboard to decide, okay, where do we want to go next? Because, you know, as as I assume most of your listeners have probably experienced, going to tourist areas is not generally where you're going to get good street photography. At least that's not been our experience. Yeah. The, the the better street images are going to be where the, the tourists are not, where the residents are, where those, you know, who make their homes and their livings uh, in those cities every day or just doing everyday things. So we use those those hop on hop off bus rides or equivalent to try to get a sense of where the tourists are, and then we try to go somewhere else. Yeah, yes, definitely. Because you, you're not gonna, you don't see real life in the busy tourist areas, right? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I in your book, and it's even on your website. You have um, you know you have you have an introduction. You say some really Really good things. I mean, I'm gonna have to steal some of your phrases. I like you like the action of daily life lived out in dot dot dot, and you list a num- number of ways, and then then you say simplicity within chaos. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? Well, I, yeah. I don't have a PhD though, so I well, I didn't oh. think of that either. That's all Lena. <laughs> <laughs> that that and that's that is that's my uh, one of my favorite themes to look for in photography. So often on the street, you'll find these um, kind of these chaotic um, scenes, right? Streets are busy sometimes. Streets are active. But yet there's something beautiful and central right there um, that's so peaceful with action swirling all around. And I love finding that. Um, and so there are, I think, a couple images that we've, we've captured where that's really the truth. There's busyness all over, but yet this quiet moment in uh in all of that activity so is that what you're normally looking for when you're you're out and about and so much is going on it's one of the things yes Ah. one of the things Uh and that's a good example of where we differ because i'm not looking for that i'm looking more for 
uh, things where either the people or the signage or something else is doing something interesting. So I, I tend to look at um, where there may be a juxtaposition between a sign and what's going on. For example, there's a picture in our, our portfolio um, of a sign on a, on a building or a construction site that says stop works. And there are several construction workers sitting there stopping, having their lunch. And so that that's the kind of thing that I would look for, which Lena probably wouldn't notice. And some of the things that she just described about the, the noise and the bustle and all of that, that is something that I typically wouldn't see. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know one of, we'll, we'll get into some of the photos later, but I know a good point you made. There's one in the title. I love your titles, by the way. And it was Friendly Ghost. Mm-hmm. And in the background is a like a subway ad for the Casper mattress. Yeah, so <laughs> what we try to do with, with many of those titles, the, the titles often for us take as much time as it does to identify the images that we think are, you know, at least good enough to, to try to put in the portfolio. Because mm-hmm. our goal for most of those titles is to have either uh, some secondary meaning or a hidden meaning or a double meaning. I think if you mm-hmm. look at many of the titles of the images, um, they will hopefully bring out something in the image that you might not have seen. Yes. Uh, good point. I mean, so many people don't name their photos. I don't, I probably name about a quarter of mine, mm-hmm. but your names are really helpful and, and actually qu- often quite humorous. <laughs> so one of the other things that we really didn't fully appreciate until fairly recently is there are, there are certainly people in, cities that can help us along the way but we didn't really focus on any of that we were just out making our images doing our thing but we had one of our trips to rome uh, i believe it was about 2015 and we found ourselves with a an unscheduled day in rome we knew we were there we didn't have anything on our checklist to do other than perhaps walk around the city and i don't remember how we came up with the idea but we ended up looking for local rome photographers just to see what was going on and you know, I didn't know anyone in Rome, Lana didn't know anyone in Rome, and we didn't, I don't even remember what our search terms were, but but somehow we came across a, a Leica Academy instructor who was offering uh, photo workshops, either individual or group, walking around Rome. And it was, you know, literally the day before we had our, our free day. So I did a little bit of, uh, of quick research on, on the gentleman to figure out, was he legit or not? And he certainly seemed like he was legit. So I, I emailed him and... Uh, much to my later surprise, because my research apparently wasn't as good as it should have been, um, we ended up spending some time with a, a very famous Italian street photographer <laughs> named Ola Perfido. And uh, he is he is amazing. He spent the day with us. We walked around Rome. We had a very, very, I don't want to say lucky because I'm sure it's it's not all luck, but we, we did both get a, a group of images that made both of our portfolios. He's got some of his um, images that he took that day in his online portfolio. We have some in ours. And it was only after we got back to the States and had done some more research on IOLO did we realize just how very fortunate we were. And then when you and I were speaking uh, to schedule the podcast, I happened to mention part of that story. And before I even said his name, you knew immediately who I was talking about. So that just reinforces just how fortunate we were to have, to have met IOLO. You were very fortunate. Yeah, we featured him in the magazine in 2016, and I've been a fan of his work ever since. Watched some videos of his, some like Academy videos, and uh, he's and he's also, you know, very well known and highly sought out commercial photographer in Rome. 
Mm -hmm. oh, I'm sure you've seen his work. So Absolutely. yeah, you, no, we you stumbled very, on a we good one. We were very one. fortunate. Yes, we did. Yeah. And so we, you know, we learned from that experience. I certainly very little, if anything, was going to top that. Uh, but we tried again a few years later. We were in Prague and meeting Aolo, I think, or right around the time we met Aolo was probably the time we had really begun to focus on street photography. I think mm -hmm. in the years prior to that, we'd been doing a lot of things or primarily Lena had been doing a lot of things, knowing sort of what she and I liked, but not really knowing what it was or what it was called or what the genre actually was. Mm -hmm. We just sort of knew what we liked. But then we spent the time with Aolo. And then a few years later, we happened to be in Prague and we we did the same thing. We Googled local Prague photographers and tried to to replicate our Aolo experience. And it was it was gratifying because that particular day, um, that photographer's plan was to start with a uh, portfolio review so he could get a sense of what mm. we like and you know where we're at, I guess, in our in our journey and our skill set, and then to go out shooting after that. And I, I remember that when we sat down at the beginning of that day to do the portfolio review, we showed him eight or 10 images. He'd asked us to, to pick eight or 10. And he said, wow, you're very deliberate about what you shoot. I don't have any other comments for you. Hmm. And I was hoping that was positive, <laughs> but it, it certainly <laughs> suggested that, you know, for better or worse, I think we had found our niche. We'd found what we liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it takes a while. That's right. Yeah, I definitely think that a, our experience with Aola was really life changing. And I think was our, as Chris points out, our transition from just being travel photographers to finding the street. Yeah, um, it really. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was it, he I can, we, we really both Chris and I can't speak highly enough of that experience and, and of the time we spent with him um, was, was just it was just it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? Yes. I love that. <laughs> I hope that's, hope that's really true as you as being an uh -huh. educator. Yes. But it yeah, sure that, is. that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just one person can, can make a huge change. And so Iolo, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell him this is on. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Hi, Iolo. Good to, good to talk to you again after six or seven years. <laughs> So you so, mentioned that you and I might have, or you and we might have been in Rome at the same time. When were you there? Well, I just wonder. We were there in 2015 in September. Ah, okay. I think we were there June-ish, maybe, or a little okay. earlier. Okay. We weren't. Yeah. I, I think we know to avoid Rome in August, that's for sure. Yeah. September was, yeah, it was warm. It was still, yeah, it was, it was pretty warm. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. So, I, you know, I, uh, looking at your work, most of it's in, well, you're in New York and D.C. and other places, but it's in Europe. Are you going to Asia or India or any, any other places when you can finally 
travel comfortably? Well, that's the thing. I think the the pandemic has certainly put a dent in a lot of folks' travel. Um, and at least for street photography, at least what we like, I don't think either of us is as inclined to take uh, photographs with people that are masked. So it, it just changes, I think, the dynamic. Mm-hmm. So we have been to Asia. Uh, we've been to Japan. Uh, we need to do some more exploring in Asia. We need to explore South America. But living mm-hmm. on the East Coast, as you know, uh, Europe is relatively easy to get to, comparatively speaking. Mm-hmm. And we both love Europe. So when we do have an opportunity, uh, particularly a shorter time, uh, we tend to tend to try to get to Europe just simply because it's close and it's, it's easier. And the backdrops and the scenery are amazing, too. Yeah, and I also think that um, in Europe, there's life outside in a different way than it is here. And so that's appealing to street photography, right? There's the cafes, people are out um, eating and celebrating life that way. Um, In Rome, you know, you have the fountains and the piazza. And and so there's a whole aspect of life outside um, that we can connect to through, through the street photography experience. So it's another reason why um, we've connected with that. Yeah, it is very different because it's real people, regular people outside. And in cities here, especially like downtown D.C., you know, it's office buildings. Mm-hmm. People, if they're out on the street, they're probably headed to another office building. And they're not particularly interesting. But do you do you shoot around DC much? We do a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I just it may be because we live here and mm-hmm. it's just known to us, or it may be because it is tough as you describe. But I yeah. we haven't had as much success in DC as we've had in other cities. But I think to be fair to DC, we also haven't put the effort into it, probably because it is so known to us. Yeah, yeah that's true. A lot of things going on though. There's there's no shortage of things to take pictures of. That's true. That's for sure. I was just up there. I was telling you, Brian, I was up there last week uh, for a day with a group. And, uh, you know, I I usually like to shoot around like Chinatown in that area. Yeah. Even Chinatown, though, it's all been built up, too. The Chinatown of of today is not what it was 20 years ago. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, it was, uh, I don't know, it was a little weird. We were by the metro station, and it was just a bunch of young, tough people smoking smoking weed mm-hmm. right on the streets. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I, I know it's legal there, but uh, I wasn't about to turn my camera on these guys. <laughs> well, you mean the, the metro is really a good example, because if you yeah. look at the public transit in Rome and Paris and London yeah. and in so many of those cities, you can't not get a good shot or two in, yeah. in a lot of those cities, public transit. But here in DC, again, I, I think we just find it very challenging given the Metro seems at least underground in many ways, very sterile. Um, there's not a lot going uh, yeah. on the, the, the architecture is intended to be, I think very, uh, very sterile, very looks like a building underground, which is yeah. really not, I think, what we see in most other cities. Yeah. And I like the Paris Metro or even the tube uh, and the Metro right now, if you go into DC and you want to shoot on the Metro, don't bother. They've got, they have problems with the wheel systems on the, on the trains and, and they run like every 40 minutes. I was trying to get up to, uh, to Adams Morgan. I gave up. I, I left the Metro and took an Uber. I, you know, cause it's not that far. And it was going to take me about, 
about a half, 45 minutes or so to get there. Yeah, things have changed really dramatically with yeah. public transit around here, even after the pandemic. I think that, that has really changed a lot. Yeah, it's it's sad because it used to be such a great system, but hopefully it'll be back. Anyway, mm-hmm. who cares about that right now? But uh, yeah, I just wondered if you had recommendations for people. Um, you know, a lot of people travel to D.C. and they want to photograph there if you... Well, Lynn, I think Lynn has found some spots she prefers. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, um, as you've been saying, Bob, the um, the whole area around the monuments is just spectacular. It is. Um, when you can get, uh, and particularly if you're there, when you can get some good light, um, the light and shadows are are quite um, beautiful. I, I love... Um, the Vietnam Memorial yes. um, for its reflections. Yeah. Um, and it's very powerful um, to see visitors come and have, you know, a moment of reflection and literally have the reflection mm-hmm. in a shot. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we've got several of, of, you know, someone wheeling by in a wheelchair or a young child pressing their forehead against the monument with some reflection of flowers that have been placed there. And um, I just, I don't know, that's, a, a, I think, a very special place to, to, to look, as well as all the area around the monuments. I think we've done some, um, some fun, thing, uh, fun work around Eastern Mar- the Eastern Market. Um, which is uh, a great bustling, or had been when we went at one point, bustling area to 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 um, mm. to engage with Eastern Market, and also just as you were saying up at Adams Morgan, but also looking at the neighborhoods. I think D.C. What people may not know is there are a lot of interesting neighborhoods here in D.C. in the D.C. area that have personality um, and and are very different to visit, and so just hunting out those. Those spots and those neighborhoods can be can be interesting for street too. That's true. Now people are mm-hmm. out and about outside mm-hmm. their neighborhood. Downtown, not so much. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, good point. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me ask you. So, where are you guys from? I mean, you're not DC natives, are you? Is is anybody a DC native? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But <laughs> there are a few, but we're not. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I grew up in New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I grew up mostly in New Hampshire. New Hampshire, all that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah, now you're now you're in a great place to have a career. We are. Uh, yeah, we're I mean work is work is what brought me here. Um and there are uh, there are a lot of good things to be said for living here in DC. Proximity to the airports are are several of them. <laughs> um you know, I I've had several jobs that have had me traveling quite a bit and so uh, as I mentioned to you earlier Bob when we were talking, uh, we we are very fortunate to have been able to do the amount of travel we have, largely because of the frequent flyer miles that I've accumulated over the last 20-some years in, in various jobs. So uh, those are those are winding down quickly. So we'll have to figure out how we're going to uh, to deal with travel going forward here in a few years. But uh, but it's been you know we've been very lucky to have that stash of frequent flyer miles that we could use to uh, to improve our craft. Yeah, they're they're not worth as much as they used to be. No, they're not. No. <laughs> which and that's that's everything even with the, the hotel points they tend to devalue them over time so let's talk about your book so you decided to create a book with the work you've been you've been making over the last several years i mean and uh by the way the, the name of the book is street signs 
and you were kind enough to send me a copy and uh uh excellent excellent well, book and so what what prompted you to do this is that's a lot of work well i i think like many photographers during the pandemic we found ourselves with a lot of time that would have otherwise been spent shooting or traveling or a combination of both and so uh, we really found an opportunity, I shouldn't say we, Lena, really found an opportunity to go through the the plethora of images that we'd created over the years and really had never done much with other than just look at them and say, well, okay, here's here, this one's interesting or that one's interesting. Uh, but she really had some time to dedicate to curating the images and look at them and and just take a look at what we had acquired over you know 15 or so years. And as we started doing that, and she started showing me what she had rediscovered, you know, after the years, I, I think we both started saying, you know, this is interesting. Um, it might be worth sharing with people because, as we mentioned earlier, we both tend to see things differently. And what we, what we saw when we looked at all the images together, I don't think either of us had seen in a work before. I mean, there are aspects of, of others, certainly much better than we are, Elliot Erwitt and Henri Cartier-Bresson and all that. But what I think we saw was a body of work that I don't think we'd seen replicated in the same way in print. And then we added the titles to it and it just seemed to speak to us to say, this is something different. Let's see if anyone is interested in the way we are. Uh, but, but Lena did a tremendous amount of work in going through those images and, uh, you know, she both for the online portfolio and for the book, and I'll let her talk about this. She can do it better than I can, but she spent a lot of time sequencing the images in in a way that, goes back to her visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of my questions we're going to talk about. Okay. Uh, sequencing is, uh, I mean, it, I think it's an art in itself. So but let's talk about that now since you, mm-hmm. since you brought it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, so, Elena, you came up with the sequence? Uh, yeah, that, I did. I, mean, I did the that's really hard to do, and most people don't even think about it. And yours is so creative. You know, at first I'm going through and I'm thinking, how are these sequenced? And I started, I started, actually, I started going through it faster. And then I, mm-hmm. then I started seeing the commonalities. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's like, it's almost like a song, you know, how all the pieces come together. I mean, what, what can you tell us about that? Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. It was, it was really that process of discovery of how um, pictures that we, or images, uh, connected to each other. And so it, it was really a process of looking at things very carefully um, with a different, you know, applying that different perspective to, to things. Um, and I think I'll just, this is an aside story that creates some context to how I approach looking at images. One of the parallel journeys that I've experienced with photography has been through um, challenges with my mobility. And so I had a very um, pretty uh, serious tennis injury that um, was hard to rehabilitate, but yet we learned that there were some underlying neuroimmune um, uh, issues mm-hmm. that was creating that, that recovery um, to be more challenging. And so while I was going through this, Chris and I continued to travel. And so I, I know Henri Cartier-Bresson says, life is very fluid. 
Mm-hmm. And so I know he speaks of that more from the image you see and how fleeting it can be. And if you don't capture it, then it can be gone. Mm-hmm. But I found that it can be very fluid from a photographer's point of view as well, from the experience of being. And so I learned through my experience to see the world from different perspectives, whether I was um, in a wheelchair and was looking at things um, from ch- a chair height or perspective, or whether if I were if I was using crutches, I had to slow down to the point where all I could cover was the radius of a block and what I could see in the range of the block was become very vivid. Or if I, if I was building up my um, walking skills and got fatigued, I would sit in a park, a city park, while Chris would go out and, and cover some ground. And I would have the opportunity to you know, take pictures from the bench that I was on and what I saw. So I think that experience, that fluidity of perspective came into the way that I saw images to sequence. So I was paying attention to gesture so I know we start the book where we have a series of in- images where people have either hands over their face or their uh, mouth is covered with some kind of object or they are hearing something loud. So we starting with some kind of series of gesture. It then moves into images that, um, for example, con- uh, convey noise um, or a loudness, even though you, an image is silent. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for those different those different nuances and perspective to link. And I think it's very much related to my experience where I had to to learn to um, you know see from different framing and from different perspectives. Wow, I. I don't want to get off track too much, but that's an interesting point about, you know, you having that injury and you're you're being constrained either to a wheelchair or crutches or having to sit on a park bench. And so how did those physical constraints in your life affect your photography style? Hmm. It, it very much affected my photography style. Um, so I can look at our work and I can tell um you know, what was going on in my world related to mobility by the pictures I took. Um, so, for example, I am, um, I have a series of shots taken from the top of a bus. <laughs> and that's because I didn't have a lot of mobility. So we took that bus and decided to sit on top and tour around. And so I just took advantage of, of that perspective and, and opportunities. Um, so, or if I see myself drawn to tired people, <laughs> tired people, tired feet, tired, and that's in the work. That's uh, in the work. If I see that, I know I just knew that I was being, it was reflected from, from that. So yes, it absolutely, it absolutely has a, as a, um, it plays out, it plays out in the work. So she also has a series of images in the, in the portfolio where they're all from what might appear to be. Um, underground height. I don't think any of these are in the book, uh, but a whole series of of shots that were taken looking upward below street level because she spent literally days on a boat in Amsterdam cruising the canals because all she could do was sit on a boat. She couldn't walk. She couldn't move. Uh, she was in a wheelchair. So the, the wheelchair went on and off the boat at the beginning and end of the day. And the rest of it was uh, on the boat. making pictures. Mm-hmm. Making the best of it. And so yeah. you were you were that banged up and you still uh-huh. went on a trip. Yeah. She was in a wheelchair yeah. for almost two years, I think. No mm-hmm. kidding. 
Mm-hmm. It was wow. a lot. It's been a lot. It's a long journey. Yeah. That, long journey. that is. Are, are you, mm-hmm. are you back walking normally now? I, I'm doing fairly well with walking. Yeah. So I would say, um, again, I acknowledge the fluidity of mobility. So yeah. I, yeah. So my journey has been from wheelchair to walking, but I, I but I think of all we, there are photog- street photographers who, um, uh, use wheels or in a chair, um, use wheelchairs and their photography is, is amazing. So I think it is just that I know back to that quote about, uh, you know, life is truly fluid. Um, whether or not it's your state of being as a photographer or the ch- what you're trying to capture. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I thank you for asking. I am, I'm doing, I'm definitely that's, doing more walking and covering oh, more ground great. these days. Yes. You know, tennis is, uh, <laughs> tennis is a, you know, it's a fast sport and, you know, you got to move quickly and turn and, and, uh, but you don't think of somebody getting injured to that level. I mean, did you injure a knee or. It was, uh, yeah, my calf ruptured my gastrocnemius in my calf. And yeah, as I said, there were some underlying um, neuroimmune issues that were discovered later on that just made it complicated. Mm. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm, Wow. mm -hmm. I'm glad you're you're getting through that. Thank you. You know, constraints, that's one thing I'm big on is constraints, Uh, you know, like particularly in, in terms of gear. You know, don't bring a big backpack with 15 lenses. I like one camera, one lens when you're out on the street. I mean, that's just me. But I think when, you, when you're constrained in some way, you get more creative. Mm-hmm. And it sounds yeah. like that was the case for you, you know, with, uh, with your physical situation. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed throughout the work is you're not afraid to break the rules. And do something different. Hey, you know, we've run into a lot of people that, that, you know, apply rules to everything. Street photography, no different. But you've got several where you cut the people's heads right off. I mean, not, <laughs> not really, but mm-hmm. you're not afraid to cut off the heads or just photograph the legs. And I, is that both of you or is, is that just Actually, one of you? No, it, w- it was both. Uh, the- yeah. If we're talking about the two images, I think you are, or at least two of the images, I think you are. Uh, one was mine, one was Lena, but they do represent very different things. So there is an image in the in the work of tired feet, and that goes exactly back to what she just mentioned on the mobility mm-hmm. issues. That was a cafe, I think, in Paris, somewhere in France, um, where there was just a group of people who were sitting in a cafe, clearly, clearly tired. Uh, there's another picture in there in the in the work that. Uh, is one we would not ordinarily have taken because it does involve um, there is a homeless person in that photo, which we typically uh, would not use for, for Mm -hmm. ethical reasons. Sure. But the juxtaposition of what is going on in the street as it related to that person who was experiencing homelessness, I think made the photo and without getting too deeply into it, uh, you know, that the, the gentleman who is sitting on the street has a sign and the sign was clearly at least designed um, for the general populace that was walking by that person on the street. But there is a particular person who's approaching that, that gentleman sitting on the street that the sign is particularly poignant toward. Um, and I'll just leave it at that if we're talking about the same image. And I think that really made the image. And, and that is one that we uh, intentionally did not display the upper body of 
of one of the people because uh, both of those folks, uh, both of those people in the image, you know, had challenges and we weren't taking the image to exploit the challenges. We were taking the image because of the signage and what was about to happen or what appears to be about to happen in the image. And so neither of those individuals' faces is visible. Um, it's all about the signage as it relates to street signs. Yeah. And, and I think very powerfully, Chris, it's about visibility or invisibility, mm-hmm. invisibility. And so the, the, in addition to the, the reasons Chris is saying that we decided to, to uh, focus the shot without heads, um, it is, it plays into that idea of, of are you visible as a whole or invisible um, in part? And, yeah. and so I think, yeah, yeah. And I, and, and, and you're right. I think for there's also a picture of a woman walking on a street and it's just her lower body, more yeah. or less. That would be one of mine um, exp- <laughs> exploring this idea of of of, of walking um, and what that's like. Um, uh, tired feet walking. And so I, I I've often drawn to a little bit of that in in the street work. Yeah. And, you know, you look through the whole. Basically, the whole portfolio, it's. Um, it's basically, I don't hate to use the term, but it's like timeless in some way. A lot of the photos are timeless, like in particular, one called Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And it's a group of cadets. Yeah, it's a group of Times cadets Square. in Times Square. Absolutely. And that could have been you know, the, light, the yeah. light hit that one perfectly. Yes. Um, that was mm-hmm. what I think drew both of us to that particular image. Mm-hmm. But Times Square is, as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, Times Square um, can be fraught with tourists, but it, it can also really, you know, have those keeper shots. That was that was one of them. There's another one in the work that is um, a real-time reenactment of a famous photo uh, shortly. Oh, after I saw World that, War II. yes. And, you know, we just happened to be walking through Times Square, and there is a, <laughs> a, a gentleman in a Navy uniform and a woman in a nurse's uniform, and they... Uh, you know, they reenacted a timeless photo, but we grabbed it and it's, uh, you're right. There is an element of timelessness there as well. Mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, yeah. Why not? Were they, were they doing that for, for the tourists or are they just, you know, I, I have no idea. There were no other photographers that were there obviously taking them. So if they were doing it, it was for the tourists or for them, or I'm not sure what. No, I, almost everything is black and white. You've got a handful of color images. And first of all, why, why primarily black and white? And why are those photos in color? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So primarily black and white, I think that goes back to my early interest in photography and the images that became very iconic to me personally. I, I, I then started to see um, what I would take in black and white when I'm out on the street, I can actually picture the image mm-hmm. of how it'll uh, like how that would rest as a black and white image. And so there's that piece to it. I think the traditional, it's the traditional um, way of, of approaching um, street photography, at least from, from my, my early experience. But also I think it's interesting from, 
an emotional literacy perspective, this idea that we often think that color in a shot is there to grab an emotional quality, right? Certain color in a shot uh, really can help emote. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the for me, I think the black and white through shadows and tones of gray has that ability to to connect emotionally too. So I think our our way of storytelling fits fits with black and white photography. That's that's it. Then the, then there's just other images that I don't know. For us, say you have to be like it has to be in color, and I think that's it. And it, it and it just is. And it also, for us, punched up the pace of the book, right? So you would see yeah. a bunch of black and white and then have something to really consider in color. That's part two. Yeah. And then you intersperse some quotes. There's not a quote mm-hmm. on every photo, which I think is a good idea. But you do sprinkle them in and they all seem seem very appropriate. Some by photographers, some not. What, did, they, did the photo inspire... Each the individual quote, or did you? Well, you actually hit on a debate that we had as we were developing the book. So, good, uh, good. Le- Lena, as the professional educator, uh-huh. was leaning toward the um, the more quote heavy mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. and I, as the person who wanted to just see the photography, said mm-hmm. we don't need quotes at all. So we settled on what I hope is a happy medium. But the the quotes that she selected, they really do, at least to me, go well with the photos because I'm not the quotes guy. But I can see how each of the quotes that she selected really, um, really brings the work together. And I think the one that is the one that I recall the best, and I think the one that, that does literally tie everything together, is if I recall correctly, there's a quote on the final page. Um, and it talks about the, the streets and how yeah. uh, you know, the, the streets go quiet. And that's the final image of the book yeah. is the book goes quiet. And so that, I think, was, is pretty powerful. But uh, the rest of them are as well, and, and Lena can probably talk to them better than I can. That's right. It yeah. was Emily Dickinson. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, it is. It it sounded as if the streets were running, and then the streets stood still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's did you already end. know that? And it I just, had. It, it just and that connected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it made the yeah. connection. And then you had Bruce Gilden quote, <laughs> which uh, I thought I was very very fitting. Do you ever work with him? Do you ever do one of his workshops? We haven't. No. That's what no. He, yeah. yeah. Basically, the quote is, yeah, if you can smell the street, it's a good street photography. Uh-huh. Street, that's why in his workshops, he tells everybody their work stinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would use another term rather than the other one. <laughs> um, so you said, you, you know, you had this collection of photos that you've been been storing for 15 years or so and i'm curious as to how you know how you manage that all that stuff you know Mm -hmm. is it pretty organized you knew exactly where to go to find things or is it is it a mess in lightroom or it it is it is all amassed in lightroom um we have gone through a couple of different storage um ideas but the Mm -hmm. one we've settled on is uh, we have each of our um, each of our sets of images stored in a folder that's marked with the city and the year, or the city and the country and the year. So uh-huh. we can go back through and identify where we went on any particular uh, any particular trip and what year it was. But then we also started using keywords, mm-hmm. and that 
quickly fell away as we got behind because, <laughs> you know, I, I had to be the, the keyword guy. And after mm-hmm. I had missed a few trips and I was then thousands of images behind, it became too much work to go back and do, you know, thousands of, of images of review of keywords. So um, I think w- what we are typically doing now, what we settle on is after we've completed a trip, we'll go back and look at the work and we'll simply flag those, you know, using the Lightroom flag feature that is that are those that we may want to go back to and look at later. Mm-hmm. But even that, I think, proved less than ideal because as Lena was going back looking at the images in preparation for the book, I think she found a whole lot of images that were not flagged that ended up making it into the portfolio because mm-hmm. we saw them with fresh eyes, you know, years later. So I'm I'm not really sure, that, at least for us, that there's any good rating system that would work mm-hmm. storage mm-hmm. system sure and an organization mm-hmm. system but i'm not really sure there's a good rating system because as we go back years later we see things we didn't see initially yeah and it, it yeah. maybe you didn't even like the photo five six years ago and now it's in the book mm-hmm. exactly so are there any photos that you know you know you took and you know it's good but you can't find it that's a good question um yeah. I think we're harder on ourselves than others might be. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure there are many photos that we took that we say we know are good. I think there are a lot of photos that we took that we like, um, <laughs> but that's a whole lot more subjective than than being able to say this is a good photo. Because, like you said before, there are all these rules out there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether you adhere to them or not, I think is an individual thing. And so yep. we we definitely recognize that what we like may not be what others like, and and vice versa. So um, I'm sure there are photos that we have not seen in a long time that we would consider adding to the portfolio when we find them again. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be in volume two, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, what are you shooting with? What, uh, what kind of gear are you using? No, let Chris start us. You so yeah. as Lena mentioned, the, the travels from film to digital uh, went yeah. over several years. So she, I think if I'm, if I'm remembering them all right, because remember, I'm not the photography guy. I think she's had a D a Nikon D70, a D7000. She's now shooting with a, a Z7. So she's been Nikon pretty consistently. <laughs> when I started, I, I went more toward what you had mentioned earlier, Bob, which is one camera, one lens, try to be, try to be small. So I typically, if I'm going to carry something, I'll typically carry the Olympus uh, EM5 mm-hmm. Mark III, the, the small mirrorless micro four thirds which has served me pretty well because you can just tuck it in the pocket and, and move on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we got a combination of Nikon uh, glass and a Nikon Z7 and a lot of Olympus mirrorless. So are you using prime lenses or zoom? I, or? I shoot with a 12 millimeter on the yeah. Olympus. So it's a which 24 millimeter. 24, yeah. Right. And Lane is using, a, I think it's a 24, 28 to 200, whatever. The, 24 to oh. 200. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And okay. I like the flexibility. I do. do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's different. There's no yeah. right or wrong. Well, if you believe the people that talk, it's not about the it's not about the glass, it's about what you see, right? At least uh, that's the theory. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you can capture it. Exactly. So what about mm-hmm. uh you've been a lot of places, a lot of places people would just love to go to. If you were to pick one, uh, <laughs> each of you make make a choice. If you know, if you could never go anywhere else in your life, but you could go to one place to photograph, what would it be? No, I would, I would say Italy. 
Yeah. I would say Italy, and I think it a lot. Uh, back to our experience with Aolo, I really, yeah, I love. Um, yes. So if I had to pick, and I could keep going back to Italy, I think is that. Did I take yours, Chris? <laughs> well, I, I would have said that because I'm actually surprised you said that. I thought uh-huh. you would have said Paris. Uh-huh. So I think uh, between between Paris, where you can really never have a bad day on the street. And most of Italy, where you can never have a bad day on the street or in Tuscany or wherever. Uh, yeah, I think those two would definitely be the, the top two in my mind. Yeah. In Italy, you can never have a bad meal either. Yeah. No, that's I true. I don't think. That's right. <laughs> now you're making me right. wanting to go back. Ah. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, all right. As we wrap things up, I wonder if you could just mm-hmm. tell us where people can find you. How they can you bet. find your stuff online, how do they find your book? Sure, thank you. So the, the website is uh, is named after the book or vice versa, as you mentioned earlier. So we're at streetsignsphotography.com. Uh, there on that website are several of the images in our portfolio, but we continue to uh, review and expand. We just want to make sure we, we uh, try to have what we think is our best stuff up there at any given point. So we do, uh, we do have that. We're also on Instagram at streetsignsphotography on Instagram. You, if you're interested in the book, uh, the easiest way to find it is through our website, because if you search my name on Amazon, you're never going to find it because it's a children's book illustrator who is uh, extraordinarily popular and shares my name. You will find it on Amazon if you search Lena's name, though. So uh, if you search Lena Santoro on Amazon, you'll find it. If you search just on street signs on Amazon, you're going to get exactly that street signs. You can get stop one way, uh, do, do not enter. So uh, the, the easiest way to find it, if you are interested, and I appreciate all the interest that there may be, just go to streetsciencephotography.com. There's a link there uh, that'll take you to Amazon and you can purchase the book right there. And our next, uh, our next work, at least the one we're thinking about next, is um, also related to street, but in a slightly different way. Uh, the European Christmas markets also are a great place to take uh, take images of people who are enjoying the holidays uh-huh. and enjoying being with each other. And we have yet to find uh, many good compendiums of street photography that relate to the holiday markets. And so mm-hmm. we're looking at maybe doing something like that soon. So if that is of interest, keep your eyes open on our website. Great, great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It was... Uh... A lot of fun, very interesting, and I think someone's going to steal your idea now. Well, that's okay because they can't <laughs> steal our images; they can make their own. That's right. That's right. They won't be the same. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having us. We've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you again. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So, please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts, or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track, and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine.